Hey guys, Chris Bircher, Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. This is episode 79, Less Struggle, More Calm. I've sort of been obsessed with the idea of calm because I've been trying to figure out the whole why of all this. You know, if you've watched the last few episodes, there's the who is KEW for, why am I, what's the point of doing all this, what, what, who is going to find this useful, and what is it for, why am I doing this kind of thing. You know, in, in 75 plus episodes, I've sort of laid out the, the things that I've learned in my life that are important to me. And <clears throat> like you, I have always sort of thought outside of the box, and I've been interested in answering questions that just don't seem to be what everybody's talking about. From from not really understanding things like why we don't learn more about sexuality or relationships, or why we learn what we learn in high school, and why we don't learn more about how to live a healthy life, and and why everybody seems to be okay with working eighty hours a week, being miserable and anxious, and and how people can look the other way. Uh, when things like climate change and, and weirdness surrounding science and COVID is happening all around us and um, how people can sort of tie their identities up into the, 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 seemingly, the seemingly oddest things. Uh, I guess it's really just a question of values. And I know there's plenty of us out there. You know, when I was in high school, I wanted something like this. I was looking for something, you know, Abby Hoffman steal this book, something counterculture, right? What happened to the hippies? You know, what happened to the counterculture movement? And there's a lot to get be said about that, right? I sort of think in the last hundred years, we've been reacting uh, to the Depression and World War II. Was massively bad things happened. We shifted our direction. We got... We, we created a nice, comfortable world for us to live in, but we didn't anticipate that along with this comfortable world, there'd be this restless boredom thing. And so part of the suffering, I think, that, that I feel, and I know other people are feeling, is related to this disconnect between sort of the lives that human beings can live and what our potential is, and these past sort of attachments or beliefs in... Um, less, what I see to be less important, more superficial things. Our reliance upon things like power and money and our striving for these and the way we sort of collectively reward each other or admire each other or treat each other are based in commodities or value systems that I just can't relate to. And so I'm trying to figure out what the answer is. You know, like a big thing, if you look at the United States of America, uh, during the Trump era, a lot of people said, well, I don't like this president, so I'm going to move to a different country. You know, I'm not talking about solutions that are runaway. You know, we're in the middle of a thing called the Great Resignation. Everybody's sort of quitting their jobs. I'm not sure how I feel about that, but the, but the point that of what I want to do with these upcoming episodes is to illustrate things that I found in my 30-plus years of exploring uh how other people deal with these things and sort of that, that assimilation of information that I've gotten from other people. You know, uh, in music, we often talk about sort of um, copyright infringement and people stealing songs from another from other people and how, you know, this rhythm sounds like that rhythm and now I'm going to sue you because you stole my song. It's like, well, well, the best musicians will tell you that their songs are an assimilation of all the things they've ever listened to. And if so, if something they recorded has a bass line that resembles this thing from another song, well, sure, I was influenced by them. I didn't do it intentionally, but 
I ingested their music. I incorporated it into what I do. And so every once in a while, it slips out. <laughs> and so I, you know, that's sort of what I'm doing. All these different things I've learned are starting to reveal a pattern. You know, it's like I've thrown spaghetti up on the wall so many freaking times that it's starting to stick in the same places. And there's starting to be a message that's revealing itself there. And I really can't deny it. And I've run the gamut from the completely psychedelic, mystical, spiritual, all the way up to hardcore applied science, research-based science. And I've seen I've seen a lot of different things, and I've been able to sort of pick and choose what I think works and what doesn't. And I find myself coming back to... Oh, I find myself going away from science and more toward this, what a lot of people would refer to as a gut feeling or an instinct or intuition or uh, knowing, or even, you know, dare I say, opinions or ideas about how things work. And I think the philosophers used to call this reason. You know, sort of pre-science, there was this idea that if we went through a fairly rigorous and standardized and thorough thought process, we could actually figure stuff out before we had science to do it. Now, I think science is really good at what it does, and see a multitude of episodes I've already done on the subject but what I'm really getting at is 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 a is a quasi science like methodology of doing research, right? It's not science. It's a it's a sort of research driven decision making process that requires a discourse. It's a it's it's not opinion because everybody has their own opinion and they're sort of separate. It's more like a well thought out conclusion temporary short-term conclusion that can be changed that individuals draw, put into a pot, and then discuss together. That's the sort of thing I'm trying to contribute to uh, to illustrate a way um, to sort of restructure the way a human being lives their lives. And, and here's the kicker, for less struggle and more calm. You know, you go back, one of the, the greatest sets of tenets about how to live your life started maybe four or 5,000 years ago with people like the Taoists and the Buddhists and, and probably the Egyptians and some others. And I get my timelines all mixed up, but we've had some pretty long-term schools of thought, some of the major religions, about how we ought to live. Now, a lot of these are outdated. A lot of them are translated wrong. A lot of them are misunderstood. But I tend to fall back because I, maybe I know the most or have read the most about the Buddhists, and they dealt with this thing they called suffering. And a lot of people get hung up on this. No, Humans weren't meant to suffer. We're not supposed to suffer. Everything's fine. And you've got these two schools of people who are sort of like, I'm fine, nothing's wrong, I'm great. Y'all are a bunch of navel gays and hippie freaks. Uh, and just get over yourselves, and I don't need any personal growth, and blah, blah, blah. I know that's not you, and you know that's not you. That's other people. But I think that's just a giant, big cesspool of denial. I really, truly believe that there's something inherent to humans that... Um, leaves us feeling dissatisfied. And I think this has a lot to do with our evolutionary history, our biology, our neuro, neurobiologic programming. But I think it also can be mastered. And a lot of people use the phrase self-mastery to describe this struggle to minimize our suffering. And in order to sort of avoid words like suffering that are kind of hot ticket and people, you know, sort of get, get all up in a tizzy about because not every, some people are actually suffering. <laughs> they don't eat, they're unclean, they don't have a place to live. Um, the things that we deal with from day to day may not be best described as suffering, but what I've, and I think another translation of the Buddhist word, maybe the Sanskrit word, uh, is dissatisfied. Not unsatisfied, but just 
in a state that is not satisfaction. And so we have what what I think of as like restlessness. And as I have sort of tried to quote unquote master myself, and it's a journey, not an endpoint, just trying to live a better life. And by better, I mean less of this struggle, more satisfaction, but not even that, less dissatisfaction, less restlessness, less urging and yearning to be or do something besides what I'm doing now, more of the living in the now, more of accepting the way things are, and and sort of less resistance to the way uh, life is unfolding. I think this is what we're doing wrong. And analytical, intelligent people tend to do this more because we just have more things going on in our brains about what's going on around us. And so we're particularly bad at just being able to let the world unfold. And so we experience things like being high strung or being anxious or being control freaks and a whole lot of other, you know, maladies that make it more difficult for us to have a comfortable life. A a simple sort of example is, do you sleep well? Many people, if not everybody I know that's over 25 or 30, you know, wakes up a couple times in the middle of the night. And it's not just to pee. It's more like to wake up because you just have too much going on in your head. You've got too much energy flowing. You've, you know, that is the wrong time of day to be like that. It's almost like the struggles of our awakened lives carry over into our sleep, disrupt that, perpetuate that. And that, you know, sort of becomes a thing, you know, not sleeping is a good indication that you are not experiencing enough calm <laughs> and too much struggle. And so I really like these words of dissatisfaction and struggle and then peace and calm being the goal. You know, I find myself often being distracted while I'm hanging out with my very young kids. And as a, as a stay-at-home parent or primary caregiver for a long time with four total daughters now, and the youngest is five, the oldest is 19, I spent a lot of time in this sort of perpetual boredom. Like I was, I felt like there were many other things I'd rather be doing than hanging out with my kids. Now, that may sound super crazy selfish, but after like six, seven hours in a day or eight or nine or ten hours of having no interaction with anybody except a five, three, two-year-old, whatever, it gets a little tedious, right? And it gets to be difficult to be in the moment and to, you know, See your, your, your life through the eyes of a child. All these other, there's, there's plenty of time for that. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful being almost 50 and having a five-year-old because sh- I can appreciate it now. I couldn't appreciate that at 35 with the, when the other three were younger because I was just too impatient. And it's that impatience that sort of creates a yearning to be doing something else, which is a distraction, which creates a struggle. And, and the simple solution would just be to calm down what are you worried about? What is it that you got to be doing right now? Why can't you just be enjoying this? And it's that cognitive dissonance of there's something else I should be doing. I'm not doing it right now. Or then, er, that creates a, a struggle, right? That's a, that's a dissonance. That's two opposing energy forces that disagree and are going to result in some kind of uncomfortable energy, the opposite of calm, which could be described as dissatisfaction or struggle, Right. You can think of a million of these different things in your lives. I mean, what I see us doing, and I did this in maybe like episode six, Quiet versus Distraction. I think it was one of the earliest episodes I did, describing this inability that we have to just sit in calm and peace. We all, it seems like we have to be doing something. We have to be earning money. We have to be growing. And maybe personal growth is, a, is an example of this. 
but generally it's about seeking accolades and rewards and power and money. We need to be doing more of that. We need to be following the American dream. And if we're not, we're lazy. We're slackers. We're wasting time. And it's so it's really uncomfortable for at least Americans that I know to sort of just sit with themselves and be peaceful and be calm. But really, I think ultimately, in an unprecedented way, we absolutely need to figure out how to do that. If for nothing else, and to help us sleep better at night and have less anxiety and less fear and be more realistic and think more clearly and make better decisions and all of this stuff. And the way I see this manifesting in myself and everybody else around me are in things like our phones, right? We're, we can't... I look at my five-year-old. She doesn't have a phone. She can sit quietly and play. Sure, she gets bored, but she doesn't have this, this, this unnatural need to do. And, 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 and have to find some weird outlet. And maybe she does, but her outlets are like running out in the yard, jumping on the trampoline, playing Legos, playing Play-Doh, you know, watching TV, playing with me, you know, having a fit. She expresses herself in real time in the real world without any real devices or, or, or conduits for that. You know, she hasn't developed these attachments to things that give her a dopamine hit or, or help her release that energy or meet some need or whatever it is. We just have, we are so busy for the sake of being busy that we can't stop. And the iPhone or the smartphone was probably the worst possible thing you could give a person like that. And so now we all do. And I find myself thinking, what did I do even 20 years ago before I had a smartphone? I have no idea. I'm just terrified at the idea of not having one. And to the point where it's such an addiction, I've created these excuses. Well, I need the map. I need to be reached. I have to da 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 da. Uh, I want to be able to master it, right? I can beat this thing. But, you know, one of my best friends is like, I wonder if the addiction to the iPhone isn't as strong as an addiction to heroin. Maybe I actually can't master it. But it's not so much about that. It's about the energy we have that requires that, that the energy that we are experiencing that the iPhone addresses. It's almost like it created the, the very energy that it, that it takes from you, right? It's like a parasite, a vampire. Um, and so we're, you know, it could be that we're avoiding doing work. Maybe we don't want to do something. We don't want the grass. So we'll find ourselves like anything I can do. Oh, here's my phone. Or maybe like return to drugs or return to alcohol or sex or gambling or, um, you know, just being busy. Uh, we've always got to have something to occupy our time. Um, it just doesn't make any sense. And I think the phone either created or addresses this whatever addictive need. It's it's like an addicted... Uh, when I'm clear-headed enough to think about it and you stand back far enough and look at all this stuff, it seems like it's an addiction to dopamine. Like we're just sitting around starved for a, a hit of something to keep us going to keep us from being quiet, to keep us from being calm, to like just keep the day rolling through with some sort of stimulus to feed the restless void that we have inside. And the phone is the quickest way to get there. But that urge, it reminds me so much of nicotine addiction. 
and then that's why I think it reeks of an addiction. And so what is the ultimate problem that is keeping us away from being calm? I think we're, I think there's so many different things layered. It, it could be, it could be described as the domestication process that Don Miguel Ruiz says the world has just created all of these things that we're supposed to do. And all of these things that we're supposed to do that are available to us are things that occupy our time. And in the absence of those things, we really don't know what to do with ourselves. And so it creates this perpetual cycle where we have to have more and more and more and more of it. Um, like an addiction, like cocaine, you do a little bit of cocaine, it makes you want to do more. Nicotine, you do some nicotine, it makes you want to do more. A little coffee, ca- caffeine, what makes you want to do more. Play some video games, it makes you want to do more. Feel good, get a dopamine hit, it makes you want to do more. And when you've always got something you know, laying around that you can just hit, you're like the proverbial mouse and the heroin, you know, just like, da, 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 da. or, you know, from the, if you know somebody who's ever had a morphine drip in the hospital where they're just like, da, 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 da. you know, it isn't so much about the pain anymore. It's about needing that thing and that urge and need. It's so terrible. And all of these places that we're getting ready to go on knowledge plus experience equals wisdom are mechanisms that I've learned about, tested, you know, spent a lot of time ridiculing and not doing and finally sort of having to accept that maybe there's something to this, things like meditation, like mindfulness, like affirmations, like exercise, like a good diet, like healthy sleep, there actually are very obvious solutions to these problems. But the problems have become so powerful. It's good. It's going to take a James Clear stacked atomic habit approach to beating it. I am by no means beating it, but I have discovered or tested and realized some obvious tools that you all know about that have help. And I think I'm starting to understand in this bigger context that if you are a person who is an overactive mind and, and exemplifies all those other things I talked about in the last couple of videos, you will benefit from these things. I benefit from these things. The problem is letting go of the status quo American dream, white picket fence, power and money life that makes it difficult to fully embrace the calm. You, you know, how do you exist in a world with the status quo that powerful, that populated, that strong? You can't not have money. You can't just live in a tiny house in the middle of nowhere. You've got to pay taxes. You've got to eat. You still have to participate in that world, which makes it super challenging. You can't have a phone and not be addicted to it, right? It's like that. You can't have an American life without getting just sucked into it. Or can you? I'm not saying you can't. It can be done, but it's not going to be easy. It may be the ultimate challenge for humankind, to resist this pull into the pit of despair, the metaphorical pit of despair that we are being pulled into. And I'm not trying to be doomsday, you know, apocalyptic, dystopian world. No, I just think the more strong those forces get, the more difficult they are to resist and the harder it is going to be to maintain some sense of peace and calm in, in your life. Bigger than that, all that said is about our individual existence in the world. We want to be peaceful. The bigger issue is how we are going to perform in the world as a society. 
and the decisions that we're going to make about things like global pandemics and uh, identity politics and climate change and uh, yeah, polluting the earth and feeding ourselves for the following generations. In order to make those sorts of community-level decisions, we have to master ourselves first to create the peace and calm necessary to move forward in that. And so for the next however many videos I can cram in <laughs> to the future of KEW, that's exactly what we're going to be discussing. Less struggle, more calm. I hope that you come with me, subscribe to my podcast, you know, uh, sign up for email reminders on my blog and my webpage. You can sign up for the YouTube channel and follow that, and you'll get notifications just so you know whenever a new episode comes out, which is generally about once or twice a week. I appreciate your time. I'm Chris Burchard. Knowledge plus experience equals wisdom. This has been episode 79. Less struggle, more gone. I'll see you next week. Take it easy.